And I'll say, bless the Lord, if you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Hi, Kairos. I'm Chris. I am the pastor here, and it's Tuesday night. It's January. We're trying to get back into the rhythm of things. There are a lot of places uh, or a lot of different things you could be doing on a Tuesday night. And so from the bottom of my heart, thank you for being here. I want to honor your presence here, and I believe that if you draw near to the Lord tonight, he's going to draw near to you. And I regardless of your motivation or your current mood or condition or relationship status, some of you come in here and you're red hot, your RPMs are, are in the red, you're following Jesus, uh, you love him, I, I pray that you will be encouraged tonight. I know that some of you are just kind of cautiously curious about the claims of Christ. Thanks so much for being here. And some of you are downright skeptical and cynical, and you probably have every reason to be. And you've sworn off church for the rest of your life, but someone keeps nagging you and inviting you, or there's something in the back of your head tonight when you are ready to turn off on your exit and go home, you decided to stop by here and just see what it's all about. Uh, you honor me and the Lord with your presence, and I believe that he wants to speak clearly to us through his word. So we're in a series called Psalm 23, Restoring the Soul. Um, for those of us who grew up in and around Christian subculture, that's a familiar psalm. Chances are, if you've been to any sort of religious funeral, that's a familiar psalm. Um, and we're going to continue to walk through it and just see how the Lord uh, is going to be our good shepherd, even in the midst of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. All things which are natural byproducts of being human in this world. Last week, we took a look at the fact that he's the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures, leads us beside shh waters. That's how my daughter translates, quiet waters. Thanks, Maggie. She's still waiting on her uh, Bible deal for her own translation. Um, he restores our soul, and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, and how even in the midst of anxiety, we can find freedom in Christ. So tonight, we're going to take a look at walking through the valley of the shadow of death and depression. You're welcome. Rah, rah, Jesus. I know it sounds depressing. Well, guess what? This psalm is depressing right off the bat. The Lord is my shepherd, which means you're his sheep. That is not a compliment. As Mike Glenn, our pastor here, likes to say, bad news, you're sheep. Good news, you have a good shepherd. Sheep by nature are dumb, defenseless, and easily distracted. Don't believe me? 2005 news report released from Iran, a small town right outside of there. It was reported that 1,500 sheep walked straight off a cliff <laughs> following one another. 400 of them died down a 15-meter ravine, which I actually Googled it. That's about 50 feet. And you may be saying, well, wait, Chris, you said 1,500 sheep went off of it. I know, only 400 died. Your math is wrong. No, by the time the bodies started piling up, 400 of them, it was breaking the fall of the other ones. <laughs> You're welcome. That's a huge pile of sheep. <laughs> it is estimated in that chaotic cotton and wool pile that the shepherd who owned the herd 
lost $100,000 in livestock. The annual income of someone in that area is only $3,000. Bad news. We're sheep. Good news. You have a good shepherd. And I know for some of you it's rising up in your entitled narcissistic little self. And that teenage voice like sounds much like my daughter when she's upset at the rules and regulations that dad is enforcing because I'm cramping her style rather than shaping her character and teaching her how to be a woman of God one day. But dad, oh my gosh, everybody in school's doing it. Why do we have to be different? But dad... This is how you get ahead at work. What do you mean I have to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me? What do you mean I have to take a Sabbath, a day off of the week? If I'm not working all the time, I'm never going to get ahead. But dad, you don't understand. Everyone's compromising their relationship standards. And after they compromise them in the relation, they're compromising them even further. And I don't want to be alone. But dad. And mindlessly... We march off the cliff into self-gratification that leads to self-destruction. But the way the Bible says it, a mind ruled by the flesh is death. It cannot submit to God's word. It is hostile to his word. But we want to be the sheep of his pasture. We look around and realize that our culture and our world has an agenda, and it's not a godly one. And that subconsciously, a lot of times, we just go with the flow and follow the person right in front of us without questioning, examining, or asking about the internal significance or consequences of our mindset, our viewpoint, and our decisions. And so we want to be the kind of people who are kind and thoughtful and articulate. Kairos wants to be the place where we have a unique and honest connection to God and each other. And part of that honesty is we don't have it all together. And a lot of us are a hot mess. And some of us are walking through the valley, the shadow of death, and we're not even sure if God's real. And we're questioning long-held beliefs, and we're wondering, are you with me? And the answer from Scripture is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So let's talk about the valley, the shadow of death. I've got a picture that someone gave me last week after Kairos, who's been to Israel like 16 times, okay? Um, And we were talking about some of the Middle Eastern uh, imagery in here. If you can see down in there, there's a ravine, um, and possibly it is leading up into higher elevations. So that would be what the valley, the shadow of death looks like. So by the way, when we talked last week about Jesus making us lie down in green pastures, do any of you see green pastures? Like, when we picture green pastures, we're like knee-high, alfalfa, like fantastic fescue, and we're just gorging ourselves because God's mission in life is to make us as comfortable as possible. It's not there, is it? Uh, uh, What happens in the desert is there's so little moisture, little tufts of grass grow up next to the rock, and sometimes the moisture from the evening breeze also helps it. Sometimes you can see some of the paths that are cut in, and that's where the shepherds will lead the sheep that it's perfectly path designed for them, and along each spot is just enough for a mouthful to walk, chew, and then go to the next one. So the rabbis had a saying, worrying is using today's provision to solve tomorrow's problems. 
So that's a better picture for what we're talking about. Valley of the shadow of death. Why is it the valley of the shadow of death? Well, one, it's dark. Two, it's absolutely necessary. When the seasons change, a shepherd has to go from the lowlands to the highlands where there's still green pastures. And this is the route that they must take because it can cut an incline that is navigable. I just made up a word. That the sheep can get up at a grade that is acceptable to them and make it to the top. But the problem is it's full of danger, darkness. Predators know this about the sheep. So they hide in caves and know that they can pounce on these defenseless little animals. And this is probably where you go to face your fears. And in fact, in shepherd terminology for the Middle Eastern shepherd, they normally lead out front. I am the good shepherd. Sheep know my name. They hear my voice and they respond. That's why one of the reasons we say before we read scripture, um, Jesus, would you go before us in this text and make a way? When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd pulls back and walks next to his sheep. He comes alongside of them because they're going to need his presence in a special way. Here's the good news about the valley of the shadow of death. It's actually where some of the greatest provisions from the shepherd are. Because it's in shadow, there's more flourishing for vegetation. Um, a lot of times there's a stream that will come down because all the condensation and rainwater is collected in there. I think the Middle Eastern term is called a wadi. Um, there is the danger, though, of flash flooding sometimes. But knowing that this will be the most difficult part of the journey, the shepherd saves the choices of provisions. Any of you who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, I just want to remind you that the Lord has the choicest of provisions for you, and he's right next to you to guide you and to guard you. And from now on, like we're in a small group, and someone's like just in the middle of depression and doubt and despair, and they're like, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Let's just stop looking at them with awkward silence or trying to go, hey, tape five Bible verses uh, to your forehead and say three Hail Marys and stop bringing this depressing stuff up because you're crushing our groove and the power of positivity in this moment. No, let's just start getting up and applauding and going, wadi wadi, I want to feel my hare tare, right? Let's salute some of the people who are in the valley of the shadow of death and can say, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I got everything figured out. No. Why? Because God gave me the solution to my problem. No. Why? Because he made the evil disappear. No. It's still there, but you are with me. And that's what it looks like to be a battle-weary, battle-worn, battle-ready believer, child of God who does not diminish in the face of adversity, who your power is made perfect in and through your weakness. And you understand this, that the valley of the shadow of death is not punishment of endless suffering. It is a pathway to the highlands. It is an invitation for transformation. And you understand that some things you can only learn and receive in the valley of the shadow of death. And the only thing that's going to bring you comfort or consolation is saying this, for you are with me. Now, interpretively, you can interpret the valley of the shadow of death as literal death. I think that's a good interpretation. And please recite this psalm at my funeral. The gospel tells us, right? Now we know if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, not built by human hands. 
that eternal life is possible because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection. And he's returning soon. He's conquered sin, the death, grave. Uh, at our funerals, we're freed up to grieve, but we're also allowed to have the hope. Uh, we do not grieve as those without hope. Awesome. There's another interpretation and application, and that is part of the Christian journey, you will experience doubt, despair, and depression. You will have seasons of it, that it is part of the Christian journey. At the beginning of this, he said he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Guess where the paths of righteousness are going to take you? Through the valley of the shadow of death. It is an invitation for transformation. I don't want to live there. I don't want to be some masochistic Christian who's not happy unless he's miserable. Um, I don't want to be envious of other people if they seem free and light and joyful. And you're like, oh my gosh, you know nothing about the valley, right? That's not what we're after. What we are after is dignifying you with your unique journey with Christ. Don't ignore the valley. Don't get caught in it. We don't have to play the victim because we understand we see this from victory. It does not invalidate our circumstances because you are with me. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The valley of shadow of death creeps up on us. Um, I don't know what it looks like in your life, but I have it in my life, and I've walked a lot of people through it. Sometimes um, it's just a surprise out of nowhere. It jumps all over you. Sometimes it comes from prolonged periods of waiting. And you're just exhausted. You don't want to pray for it anymore. You don't want to wait for the Lord to satisfy your needs in this area. And so you wander away. Sometimes it is the weight, unbearable weight of a responsibility you did not ask for. But it is draining and it is depressing and it is exhausting all of your personal resources and you see no way out of it. And sometimes it's just simply the weightlessness of wandering around this life without any clue what your passion and purpose is. And you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death and it's dark and it's depressing and you doubt you're ever going to get out. Let's embrace it. Here's what Ian um, Matthews says, and I love this quote. If Christianity meant mere maintenance, then the darkness would spell disaster. But darkness is a condition of the Christian life. Hey, men and women, just so we're clear, if we need to pass the scratch and sniff test for what Kairos is all about, we're not here for mere maintenance. This is not some religious pep rally of positivity so we can sing your favorite songs and you get the goosebumps and confuse that for the Holy Spirit walking you through the valley of the shadow of death. We are also not here so that you can come in and get a two-by-four of religious condemnation, feel worse about yourself, so you spend your entire life in guilt and shame, attending church 1.2 times a month, tipping God in the offering basket, all so that he will leave you alone. What we are here for is we understand that we can face our fear, for you are with me. 
The valley of the shadow of death is an essential, integral part of the Christian journey. And I'm not bypassing it. I'm not staying in it. I'm walking with my shepherd every single step of the way. And what if the valley of the shadow of death is not punishment for endless suffering, but it's a pathway. It's a pathway to the highlands. It's a pathway and an invitation for transformation. When you're walking through it, make sure you're going to get all of the provisions, the guidance, and the guardianship, and learn the things that only Jesus teaches you. Build your faith in a way that only he can, and your trust in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and darkness. The journey deeper into trust, I think all of us would go, I'd love to have more trust and more faith and more belief in God. If you said that, congratulations. That's the journey deeper into fear. He will take you straight into your deepest fears. But you can face your fear for you are with me. Now, how can we do that? Well, um, just so we're clear, it, there's, I think, when we're talking about darkness and depression, there's clinical depression. Hey, you're welcome. We see you. It's okay. See your doctor. See your counselor. See your pastor. Get the right pathway. I know it feels like there's no way out and you feel defective and there's something wrong with you. We recognize you. We dignify what you are walking through in this community. But it's not just for you. All of us will walk through dark nights of the soul. That's a phrase that St. John of the Cross came up with in the 1500s to describe what many leaders, Christian men and women, walk through when they feel separated and isolated and lonely from the Lord. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, world-famous preachers um, in the 1900s. Here's a quote from him. Fits of depression come over most of us. Oh, but that's just talking about some modern psycho babble, you little helicopter kids who get your feelings hurt all the time. Wah! Suck it up, rub some dirt in it. No, this is, okay, it's Charles frickin' Spurgeon, okay, 1900s. They didn't have no DSM back then, all right? Fits of depression come over most of us, usually cheerful as we may be. And by the way, he was known to struggle with depression. We must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise are not always ready. The brave are not always courageous. The joyous, joyous are not always happy. Hey, just so we're clear, if that's a gift that God gives you, that's not your identity. If you're always the joyful person, you don't have to do that for acceptance. If you're always the courageous person, it's okay that you're fearful sometimes. All right? False identities and masks that we put on to make ourselves pleasing and attractive to the world, they come crumbling off like wet paper mache in the valley of the shadow of death. And the Lord sees our true face and says, I am with you. Charles Spurgeon goes on to this. Now, stay with me. It's a little old Englishy, but the payoff is stupendous. I note that some who I greatly love and esteem, who are, in my judgment, among the very choicest of God's people, Nevertheless, travel most of the way to heaven by night. And if you're traveling by night right now, you don't have to fear any evil. For he is with you. Some of you just may be more sensitive to it than others. 
and that is a gift to the kingdom. How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we can say we fear no evil, even though the evil's not removed, but somehow we learn to stand up underneath it? This is the next line. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now that word sometimes can be the same word in the original language translated either way, but there is a distinction, and I think it's worth exploring right here. Um, a shepherd has two instruments, a staff and a rod. I always thought they were the same thing. Um, but Philip Keller is really helpful here. He said, a rod is like a cudgel. Um, it's uh, carved out of wood. It usually takes a knot from a tree or something like that, and it fashions it, and it has a handle that comes down. So it's really dense, really powerful, and kids from a young age carve theirs out, and it becomes like a second appendage for them, right? Actually, you have two appendages, a third appendage, right? Um, whatever, you, you know what I mean. And so they just whip it around. There's contests. So he said, I've seen people from 20 yards away hit an item off the top of a, rack, a rock with their cudgel, their rod. This is the rod. For a shepherd, it's a sign of authority, defense, and protection for the sheep. So when predators come out, he zings that thing, boom, they're gone. Bonks them in the head, you're out, right? This is the rod that will comfort you in the midst of the valley of shadow of death. But there's a catch. Sometimes he also uses the rod for discipline for the sheep. If you're wandering off to that cliff, he'll send that thing flying and pop you in your hindquarters and bring you back on the path. Discipline, men and women, is security. Do not despise discipline. Even though it may be unpleasant for a season, it is ultimately for your benefit. And there are some things that only get exposed in the dark that the Lord delightfully wants to discipline in you. And that is a sign of your security in him. Um, I don't have, have this quote on the screens for you, but it's from Chuck DeGroote. Um, and he said it this way. The dark night of the soul opens us up to God's surgical knife where he cuts the cancer out of our souls. Watch this. In darkness, we begin to see the truth about our false gods and fragile securities. Do you need the rod tonight? What false god do you need to name that you've been worshiping and secretly relying on whose name is not Yahweh? Do you need some fragile security that you're secretly keeping over here and you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you, but I have to have this as well. What does God need to strip from you in the valley of the shadow of death? Your rod and your staff comfort me. Now the staff is a sign of provision, protection, comfort, and caring for the shepherd. Right? It's the one where he guides you and leads you Sometimes with the crook, it's said that they'll take them out of bramble if they're caught up in it. Or if uh, a sheep has given birth to a young child and it's trying to find its mother so it can feed, he'll lift it up with the crook of his staff, place it right where it belongs so that his scent does not get on it, and it attaches to its mother. But the best part about the image of the staff, um, I think that I need the most is if there's a sheep that's particularly fearful in the midst of the flock, sometimes the shepherd will come up, stand right next to that sheep, and take his staff 
and touch the side of them because that's an extension of the shepherd. It's showing favor and presence and letting that sheep know, I am with you. What do you need in the valley of the shadow of death most tonight? The rod or the staff? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Would you be our good shepherd? Would you come alongside of us and walk us? And will we be able to say, because of who you are, I can face my fear, for you are with me. Amen? So we want to preach the Bible clearly and give your soul some space to respond. If Jesus is the good shepherd and you've heard his voice tonight, your job is to respond. Encourage you to journal, capture whatever it is that's going on. We're going to sing in just a second, but I just want to give you some soul space to respond. If you need some prompts, I would just ask the Lord this. Where do I need the rod in my life? Is there a predator I need protection over? Is there a place I'm prone to wander that I need your loving discipline to make me feel safe and secure? Do I need your authority over something? And where do you need the staff? Where do you need the comfort and reassurance of your good shepherd? What other false staffs have been you been running to that promise comfort, safety, and security? But what you really need is to be next to the shepherd. Let's listen together.